How's everybody doing? I won't make a joke about how mediocre that was, but uh, <laughs> it seems like we're doing okay. Drink more coffee, as Amy said. Well, we're going to return and actually finish our sermon series on the stories that we just don't talk about in Sunday school when we were growing up. You know, these aren't the stories that you would see on those felt boards because maybe they're a bit unusual or they're a bit scandalous, like the story about David. And today we have another one that's very interesting and very unusual, where God sends Elijah, the great prophet, to a woman of Sidon who's not even Jewish, and they help each other. And it's this beautiful story. But last week we had a great break from the sermon series as we had the bishop come in and preach about how we're at the end of the beginning, that we're just beginning as a church, and that the conference is so excited, if you missed it, that they are giving $200,000 towards our debt. In fact, they already did. It's already gone straight to the bank that where our, our debt is held, and they just paid it $200,000 straight away. So yeah, that's a great... So that's on to us to continue that momentum and continue to do the great work that we are called to, to bridge people to Jesus the rock through relationships of deeply committed disciples. That's you. So it's your job to make relationships and let people know about Jesus in this community so that they can have their life changed. Well, today we are talking about poverty And that's not something that we talk about a lot in church. Now, we talk about how God provides blessings and many different things, but there are many people who are incredibly faithful and yet are incredibly poor. And and maybe some people might think, well, do they have enough faith? And I'm here to tell you that's not the case. It's not about their faith. That poverty is something that we as humans are called to deal with. You may have noticed that fairly recently, Hurricane Dorian went through the Bahamas. The Bahamas is a very special place in my heart. Um, Michelle and I have been there four times on mission trips, and so, uh, yeah. Um, and it's amazing every time we go how loving and amazing the people are there, especially these folks who don't have anything. And folks that, in the case of Dorian, might have had their house just blown down by a hurricane, and yet they're so giving and they're so loving. And what I find is when you go international, and I know those who went uh, to Guatemala probably experienced the same thing that I have experienced on these trips, is that when we go and we share our life and faith and we're helping them maybe take care of their material needs, they are providing as much or more blessing back to us through the community and love that they share with us. And it's this incredible interchange, and it's an interesting cultural interchange. One time I took a bunch of college students to the Bahamas, and we were riding on the bus to the beach, and yes, There are beautiful beaches, and yes, when we went to the Bahamas, we went to the beach every day, but no, that's not why we were there. We did a lot of hard work, too. And we were riding on in the bus to the beach, and everyone was feeling good after a day of hard work, and we're singing one of our favorite songs, which is one we sing here, Build Your Kingdom here, and it has this line about set your church on fire. And of course, we're all singing it out really loud, and then we're kind of laughing after it's over, and there's a moment of silence, and Mannix, who's the bus driver, kind of looks up in the mirror, and he goes, why would you set your church on fire? (laughs) And it's interesting, because we were talking about the churches in ourselves. We want God to set us on fire, not physically, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we can do the work of God in the world. But he took it very literally that we'd want to set the physical building of the church on fire. You see, when we go international, we exchange culture with people. And what I have found is that while we are there to take care of their material needs, in this case, we're doing a lot of roofing to take care of their 
destruction from hurricanes, they were taking care of something that we had poverty in, which was community. Because here's the thing about the Bahamas. If you're going somewhere and you run into someone from the Bahamas, you're going to find that they are going to stop down and they're going to talk to you and you're going to be the most important person in the world to them. You may have heard of Island Time, right? It's because they value people over time and tasks. And so a lot of times when we go and we're helping and, and we're providing this service because they need that, right? We are answering the call. God has called us to go and, and help them. They're blessing us because we have a poverty of community in our culture where we might not stop down to talk to someone who desperately needs us to have a relationship because we are on to the next task or the next moment. Or maybe, you know, I've got two minutes right now that I can give you, but that's all I've got before I have to go. And guys, if you think I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching at myself because I'm the world's worst at this. I'm such a task-focused person. And you may have noticed this on Sunday mornings because I'm off to the next task, boom, 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 going everywhere. We've got to slow down. We've got to see the people and that was the blessing that people in the Bahamas share with me through their culture. You see, I believe that all of us who follow Jesus are richly and abundantly blessed. All of us, if we follow Jesus, we're richly, abundantly blessed. But most of us have a poverty in something, right? And there are some people who actually have very little there's places, you know, you talked about it, Anna, and mentioned it so beautifully. No locks on the doors. They don't have clean water. They have to walk 6K just to get water. And we can't even imagine poverty like that. And so we have to be careful when we speak to our theology as Christians. And you hear some Christians who talk about, if you have enough faith, you will be materially blessed and materially wealthy. And I will tell you, if you cannot preach your theology in the poorest village in the Congo or to the richest person in the world, or the most powerful person, the person with the least powerful, it is not the gospel. And the truth is, what Scripture promises us is that not that we will be materially blessed if we follow Jesus, but that we'll be blessed abundantly, and we'll be rich and filled of God's love and grace. And I can give you two examples in Scripture where this is the case. Think about Jesus himself. Is there a person with more faith and more belief than Jesus? I don't think so, right? And Jesus, on the night when he gave himself up for us, is sitting there and he's praying to God. And what does he say? If this cup can be taken from me, then let it. He's on his knees. He's begging God. Some, some versions talk about how he was so upset about what was about to happen that he actually cried tears of blood. That's what some traditions believe. Now imagine that. He's begging God. God loves him. This is God's own son, and now we believe that God is God the, the Father and God the Son and that they're one and they're both uniquely individual. If you have questions about that, so do all of us. It's okay. <laughs> but here's God's own Son begging God, let this cup pass from me. And God says no. God says no. God doesn't always take away our problems. God doesn't always give us what we ask. Another example is Paul, who had some sort of thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was a health issue. And he, he begs God. And here's a man. Here's one of the most faithful men of God, begging God to take this away from him. And God doesn't take it away. God doesn't always provide what we need materially. But I will tell you this. I want you to think about three things today. 
that if you follow God, you will be blessed richly and abundantly, but maybe not materially. And the second thing is that we are called as followers of Jesus to go and help those who, don't, who have a poverty in something, whatever that might be. Maybe they're a poverty in community and they need people, or they have a poverty in material things and they need basic needs, water, clothes, food, education, just the basic things that we take for granted. And if we have those things, we have extra, we're called to do that. And the third part of that is that because God allows us to have free will, it sometimes interferes with what God wants because God wants everyone to have enough. But because we have free will, either because those who are called to do something about it don't, or there are people who choose to do evil things and prevent people from getting what they need. So God blesses you abundantly, but maybe not materially. God calls you to help those who have a poverty in something. But sometimes either because we choose or because other people choose, people don't get what they need. So let us not be the one who chooses to say no to God so that people do not have enough. Our scripture today comes from 1 Kings, a really fascinating story, 1 Kings chapter 17. And it starts off talking about this person named Elijah. And now, we talked about Elijah a few weeks ago. He's one of the greatest prophets in all of the Hebrew text. He's one of the great heroes for the Jewish people. And this is the introduction that Elijah gets in the Bible. Elijah from Tishbe was one of the settlers in Gilead, said to Ahab, as surely as the Lord lives, Israel's God, the one I serve, there will neither need dew nor rain these years unless I say so. So that's it. This is the first time we hear about Elijah. All that we know is he's a Tish, from Tishbe and he was a settler in Gilead. And all of a sudden, he is called to speak truth to power in Ahab, who is the king of, is, of Judah, who is considered one of the most evil kings in the Hebrew text, right? Now, Ahab wanted to curry favor with the king of Tyre and Sidon, and he marries Jezebel, and then she brings in her gods, and all of a sudden, because they're trying to make this alliance, and they're showing that we want to respect your gods and our gods, they bring in the gods of the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they start worshiping them, probably alongside of Yahweh, right? So this wasn't necessarily they replaced Yahweh, but they're saying, okay, to make this powerful neighbor happy, we're going to worship your gods and our gods, and it's going to be okay. But God is not okay with this. Remember, the people of Israel are called to be a light to the nations. They're called to be unique and distinct and loving and kind, but also to worship only the Lord your God. It's the number one commandment, right? Worship the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. God is a jealous God. He does not want them worshiping these other gods. And he, in fact, he doesn't even want them trusting foreign kings because in a sense he's saying, I will fight your battles because I have this special relationship with you. And so Ahab, this nobody from nowhere, comes up to Ahab, I mean, Elijah comes up to Ahab and says, there's gonna be a drought for three years. Can you imagine if you were called to go up to the most powerful person in your region and tell them God is not happy with you? And this is certainly a time where you could be killed for saying the wrong thing. So what it says. Then the Lord's word came to Elijah. Go from here and turn east. Hide by the Cherith brook that faces the Jordan River. You can drink from the, book, the brook. I have also ordered ravens to provide for you. So God is providing water and food for Elijah. Elijah went and did just that. He stayed by the Cherith brook that faces the Jordan River. The ravens brought bread and meat in the mornings and evenings. 
He drank from the Cherith brook, and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now this is where it gets really interesting. The Lord's word came to Elijah, get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. So remember, Tyre and Sidon, those were the people that Jezebel came from. That's a foreign kingdom. So God is telling Elijah to go to a foreign kingdom. In fact, go to the power base of the people of Jezebel, the woman who's bringing all this trouble. It's kind of like a God thumbing God's nose at this, these foreign gods. Elijah left. Oh, I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. So not only that, but God is going to have a widow who's not Jewish take care of Elijah, who's the prophet. See how unusual a story this is? This is not the way we think things should go. We would think that God would send a Jewish widow or a Jewish person to take care of Elijah. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, please get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water. And then he said to her, please get me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Now, hear how she said that. As surely as the Lord your God, not my God, your God lives. I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I may make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. Her prospects are bleak. There's no hope for her. She's going to cook her last meal, and then her and her son are going to die. And then Elijah said, do not be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first, then bring it to me. You can make something for yourself and for your son soon after that. This is what the Israel's Lord God says, the Lord. The jar of flour won't decrease, and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. And so the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't run out, decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord had spoken through Elijah. So do you hear that? Goes to this widow, and he asks her to make her some bread, to make him some bread. She doesn't have anything. She has one jar of oil and a little bit of flour left. So it's just enough to make one last meal for her and her family. And then God provides. But notice that God doesn't provide an overabundance he doesn't give her wealth on top of wealth. He gives her supplies that won't run out as long as she does what she's supposed to do. There's a mutuality here too, as God provides just enough for the widow and for Elijah. But do you see the mutuality? God sends Elijah to be provided for by the widow. Elijah provides for the widow, and she provides for him. That's how it's supposed to be, church. There's supposed to be a mutuality in the way that we do things. Maybe I have some sort of resource that you need. In the case that we're talking about with World Vision, we believe that by putting our feet on the pavement and getting some people who have maybe a little bit extra to give towards clean water, we can provide that gift of clean water. But those that we're providing that gift for are also providing a gift back. Or just by running together, we're getting provided community by those that we run with and together. It's the same thing that happened in the Bahamas. We showed up to rebuild roofs and houses. And you can't think of yourself as the hero coming in to save the day. God is already at work. God is already there without you. You're just doing your part. But the truth is that we needed what they had to offer. We were incredibly and wonderfully blessed. There's a reason I've gone back four times. 
And it's not just because I want to do good work, but because every time I go, I am as blessed by their gift of community as they are blessed by the material gift that I give them. It's a mutuality. God has designed this world that we share what we have in abundance and that others, when they have abundance, share that with us. Let me give you some examples in Scripture. The first is from Leviticus. This is God's law, chapter 19, verse 34. That's what it says. And listen to how this is phrased. Any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they are one of your citizens. You must love them as yourself because you were once immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So what he's saying is you have immigrants living among you. They have needs. You take care of them because at one time you were immigrants and I took care of you. You see the mutuality there? He's reminding them. He's calling them back to their past and say, there was a time you had needs. I took care of those needs. There are people among you who have needs. You can and will and should take care of their needs. It's very clear. You help other people, they help you. Now let's look at Luke chapter 3, verse 11. And now this is Jesus, right? We shouldn't ignore what Jesus tells us to do. We all agree? You know, maybe. <laughs> kind of. You know, wait until I tell you what it is first, right? <laughs> then you'll answer. And he answered, whoever has two shirts must share them with those who have none, and whoever has food must share, must do the same. So here's Jesus saying, like, if you have two shirts and someone has none, give one of your shirts. And if you have food, and you have food abundance, and there are people who are hungry, give your food away. Make sure that they have some. But there's a mutuality. And it goes back to what Jesus calls the greatest commandment and the one that's just like it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then how Jesus implies that we are called to do that is to love our neighbor as ourself. Which means if they have needs, we take care of them. And if our neighbor sees that we have needs, they take care of us. There's a mutuality. And if we live this way, it will transform our world. Because here's the problem. We have scarcity mentality right now. We've been taught our whole lives that to get ahead, we have to do better and someone else has to do worse. That's not how it works. God has an abundance mentality that there is enough for everyone. There's enough food. There's enough water. There's enough wealth. There's enough community for all of us to have some if we just share it with one another. In a little bit, I'm going to ask you guys to come to a meeting after the service. And I could quote to you a little bit about how, you know, Americans spend more on soda and ice cream than what it would cost to provide clean water to the world. I could tell you a little bit about how if you have $2,200 in your bank, you're in the top 50% of the richest people in the world. I could tell you that if you have, if you make $25,000 a year, make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the income earners in this world. I could tell you that if you make 50,000 or more, 50,000 or more, or you have 500,000 in assets, you're in the top 1% of the world. We are wealthy beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. But what I really want to tell you, what I really want you to open your heart is that God has called you to share 
how you have been richly blessed. Last year when we did World Vision, this stuff is up here for a reason. Because my daughter Sophie, I don't, she's not in here yet, she, we went to this thing called Impact Night. And they had on the tables, they had folders about <laughs> how you can sponsor a child. And she sat there and she read every single one that was on our table. And she put on these 3D goggles and she walked the six point six kilometers with someone, a little girl named Sheru, who carried a teapot six kilometers so that she could get clean water. And it changed her life. And last year she made a commitment to provide clean water for 1,000 kids. 1,000 kids. And so that is our family, we've made that commitment. We're gonna keep walking, we keep running, because we kind of walk run. <laughs> Until we provide clean water for 50,000, or for 1,000 people, that's $50,000. I hope you're inspired. We have so much, and this is one way, one small way that God is calling us to make a difference. Share out of the abundance that God has given you. Truly believe that God has blessed you richly. Truly believe that God wants you to have enough and wants all people around the world to have enough and that you and I are called to make sure that happens. All we have to do is move our feet. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.